0: That's right. Get 55% off at babble.com slash SPP. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash SPP. Rules and restrictions may apply. The
1: podcast where we talk to smart people, but not necessarily done by smart people. That is an awesome question. This one goes down probably on one of my top five. Hey,
0: I like nutrition. I like to eat food. This is the coolest thing ever. We're going to do this forever. I wish I paid more attention in that class. You know, I'm going to be honest, I don't understand
1: that. As a man, I just, I don't get it.
0: Welcome to to smartpeoplepodcast.com.
1: Hello and welcome to Smart People Podcast, conversations that satisfy your curious mind. Chris Stemp here, thanks for tuning in. You're in for a fantastic one. I have to say that in this conversation, there are so many profound insights, so many mind altering proposals, and I'm excited for you to listen to it. I also think that due to the profundity of some of this, it warrants supplemental information. So what I'm going to do is I am going to record a short episode where I go through my top three to five takeaways from this episode. I'll clip the line that she said that was profound for me, and I'll slow down and explain what the impact of this is and how we can utilize it. I wanna do this as a test case. I wanna see if you like it because I know many of you are driving or walking the dog. And as much as you enjoy these conversations, there are takeaways that you want. And in this one, I have no doubt that will come. And so if I can give you almost a Cliff's Notes version in addition to the depth that we go in here, I think it'll be beneficial. When you hear my supplemental episode, probably in a week or so, shoot me an email smartpeoplepodcast at gmail.com, and let me know, did you like it? Do you want more of them? If I get, I don't know, 30, 40, 50 people, then we'll add that to the rotation, supplemental episodes, breaking down the discussion, and really clarifying some of the key takeaways. And I'm not kidding when I say there are some paradigm-altering thoughts presented in this episode. We are talking to Dr. Julia Deganchi She's the author of the new book, Energy Rising, The Neuroscience of Leading with Emotional Power. And what we discuss in this episode is that, in short, because our brain does its best to avoid pain, we can live an entire life of inauthenticity due to our desire to avoid non-catastrophic pain. There's much more there. We're going to learn the energy behind emotions, how to harness them, what we can do with them, and what it means for us. Dr. DeGangi completed her PhD at DePaul University and her clinical training at a consortium of Harvard Medical School, Boston University, and the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. Her work is dedicated to offering a neuroscientifically accurate path to greater emotional power, influence, and connection in your life. She's worked with leaders at the White House, global companies, international NGOs, U.S. Special Forces, and everything in between. After listening, I think, You will understand why she is highly sought after by individuals, leaders, executives, and politicians alike. And I cannot wait for you to hear it. Don't forget to share this episode. Don't forget to share the show. We are at smartpeoplepodcast.com. Let's get into it. My discussion with Dr. Julia Daganji as we talk about her new book, Energy Rising, The Neuroscience of Leading with Emotional Power. Enjoy. As I'm reading your book and learning about what you do, I'm going, this is what the podcast is based in. It's this idea of like, can we harness intelligence and all new science and the brain and the magnificence of who we are, but ultimately to understand ourselves better and to live a better life. And I feel like that is my interpretation of a lot of the core of your work.
2: Well, I I love that interpretation. Yes. I mean, I think. The whole purpose of our lives is to figure out how to live it as effectively as possible. A lot of times I will use effectively and powerfully interchangeably, but I think so much of what we want in this lifetime, I mean, frankly, all of it depends on our brain. We pay more attention to how to operate our cell phones or chat GPT than we really think about the powerful operation of our own brain and our own nervous system, and I think you know, so much of how we experience our lives has to do with how we're thinking about our own biology, believe it or not.
1: That is exactly why our logo is the brain. It is exactly that. It's this thing that I feel like is at the core of who we are, but we don't understand it hardly at all. And so that's why when I talk to people like yourselves with a really in-depth understanding of it, I'm always curious, like, what do you know that the vast majority of us don't that you feel like we should
2: Oh my God, I love that question. I, have, I, I already totally know my answer. I'm a neuropsychologist and I think a lot about negative emotions, right? So anxiety, fear, doubt, stress, uncertainty, confusion. So obviously these emotions, they feel bad. That's literally what makes them bad emotions is the feeling inside of our bodies. It's undesirable. So a lot of us spend our entire lives trying to avoid them. This is the entire reason that I wrote Energy Rising. Every single thing you want in this lifetime, every single thing that you want and do not yet have is on the other side of the feelings you keep telling yourself you think you can't feel. If you want more self-confidence, you must come into a new relationship with the energy of doubt. Now, When I say energy, I'm not talking metaphorically, I'm not talking metaphysically, I'm talking neurobiologically. So if I want more self-confidence, I need to come into a new relationship with my emotional energy around doubt. If I want more peace, I need to have a new relationship with what uncertainty does to my physiology. If I want more connection or more influence, I need to have a new relationship with my own fears around rejection. On the physical health side, everyone gets this, right? Everyone's like, okay, if I can only lift five pounds at the gym today and I wanna be able to lift 30, I need to start working up through different levels of resistance. I need to be able to lift 10 pounds and then 15 pounds and then 17 pounds, right? So, On the physical health side, how we get stronger is entirely clear. On the emotional side, I think the thing that we want more than anything on this planet is greater access to our own power. The only way we become more resilient, we become more confident, we become more self-possessed is to come into a new relationship with the feelings we spend our entire lives trying to avoid.
1: Sounds sounds really impossible. It's one of those things no, where-
2: No, not impossible at all. I have so much to say. So well, I know.
1: and And okay, let's break this down. So first of all, you talk about emotional energy. And I love that idea because it adds a level of what seems like science to something that feels very unscientific. And that's one of the reasons I want to talk to you, because I think that is what you do. You use all of your background, all the imaging tools to apply a scientific backing to this idea of emotion. So what is, you know, emotional energy even mean?
2: A- Excellent question. So I think a lot of us feel like our emotions are something that are done to us. Right? We wake up in the morning and then, oh, we just get slapped in the face with stress or we just get slapped in the face with projection. So a lot of times we feel kind of a victim to these own our own emotions. I think when we understand that we actually have a very neurophysiological relationship with them, there's something very empowering about this. So first of all, emotions are quite literally an energy. Right? So the, the whole reason I can use tools like fMRI or EEG, or some researchers use TMS, is because of the electrical, the neuroelectrical properties of your emotions, okay? So yeah. there are these zing, zing, zap, zap, zoing zoings of your nervous system that are frankly, you know, I think a very useful way to think about emotions is they are the neurobiological Google maps of your life. Across, you know, 150 million years of evolution, they're telling you at the next intersection, turn right and immediately leave the relationship. At -hmm. the next intersection, immediately go for the next promotion. And what a lot of us are doing over and over and over again in our lives, if we're really honest about it, is denying these neurobiological signals. We would never do that with hunger. We would never do that with sleep. We would never do that. I mean, there's a million other ones, right? So then we wake up one day and we say our lives feel terrible to us. We feel kind of numb, we feel anxious, we feel exhausted. The reason is in large part is because we keep not paying attention to the very signals our brain is, is sending to us.
1: You said we aren't paying attention to the signals the brain is sending, but if the brain is sending uncomfortable emotions, aren't we actually listening to them by trying to avoid them?
2: Here's the thing, if you wanna live a powerful life, our job is not to entirely avoid pain it is to pick a more powerful pain so at a at a very basic reflexive level the brain will is kind of wired to treat all pain the same so if i put my hand on a hot stove and i burn my hand i'm gonna yank it away immediately and then i'm gonna be like you know what let me never again put my hand on a hot stove in neuropsychology we call that one trial learning it's like The first time I get burned like that, I'm never doing it again, okay? So the brain can really encode memories around that and say, that's very dangerous. Now, while that can be incredibly adaptive when we're burning our hands on hot stoves, if you think about, this is such an important point for your audience, if you think about all the emotional pain that you get into, 99.5% of it is by its very nature chronic. It is the same argument that you are having with your spouse for the 15,000th time. It is the the same. You know, you've woken up a hundred times and thought, I really don't want to go to this job. You've woken up a hundred times and thought, gosh, I really want to I really want to express myself differently. But you keep your mouth shut. Okay. so what I, I need people to understand. And again, I think this is such a powerful moment when we really see it. Trying to avoid all pain is the sort of the reflexive response of the brain that is true. But all pain is not created equal. And more importantly than that, there is no life that offers any pain-free options. So what ends up happening is a lot of us are trying to avoid pain, avoid pain, avoid pain, the way we would try to like avoid gravity or avoid aging. It's impossible based on what the human life is. So we spend so much time avoiding speaking up avoiding risks we really want to take avoiding conversations we really want to have avoiding opportunities we really want to pursue because we're afraid and we think that by avoidance of that fear that will somehow lead us to a place of power but it cannot so then the question is if i say to myself let me okay i got a great idea julia we are going to construct a life for you where there's no aging or there's no gravity you would be like that oh my God, you're going to spend so much time and effort and energy, and that's a fool's errand. It's, a, it's an illusory choice. So let me ask myself, in a world that guarantees me pain, what is the pain that works to my advantage? So say, for example, let's let's do a couple of examples. Let's say there's a conversation that I really want to have with you, Chris, but it makes me nervous. It makes me anxious. If I'm really honest, like the feelings about when I think about talking to you, it makes me feel afraid, it makes me feel stressed, it makes me feel anxious. So I avoid the conversation, and I avoid the conversation, and I avoid the conversation. But there's a pain in that avoidance, meaning I feel mad at myself. I realize that I won't stand up for myself. I feel weak, I feel kind of embarrassed, I don't feel brave. There's a, there's absolutely a pain associated with that. Can we all agree? Yeah. So uh, while I'm avoiding my pain of confronting you, having this difficult conversation, I also am having all of this pain of what I call self-rejection. So then I have to say to myself, okay, now that I know there's no pain-free options, this gets to be very logical and therefore very empowering, do I choose the pain of where I have a conversation with you and I feel a little bit nervous for, I don't know, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 30 minutes, or do I choose another one month, two months, three months, 10 months of the pain of self-rejection?
0: This episode is brought to you by hymns. We don't want to admit it, but 52% of men over 40 experience some form of erectile dysfunction. But like many health problems, no one wants to talk about or take up hours of your day to deal with it. That's why you need to check out Hims. Hims is changing men's healthcare by providing simple and convenient access to science-backed treatments for erectile dysfunction, hair loss, weight loss, and more. The entire process is 100% online, so you can get a new routine of improving your overall health faster. Hims offers an array of high-quality options, including pills or chews for ED and serums, sprays, or oral options for hair loss. If prescribed, your medication ships directly to you for free and discreet packaging. No waiting rooms and no pharmacy visits. No insurance is needed. Pay one low price for your treatments, online visits, ongoing shipments, and provider messaging. You can even manage your plan on the Hims app, track progress. And learn more about your conditions and how to treat them from leading medical experts. Start your free online visit today at hymns.com slash smart. That's H-I-M-S dot slash smart for your personalized treatment options. One last time, hymns.com slash smart. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See hymns.com slash twist for details and important safety information. Subscription required price varies based on product and subscriptions plan. I'm, I'm trying to bring everything together. So the idea
1: is it's not every second of life, but in all of life's moments, we'll call them. There are two options, if you will, or multiple options, but on each option, there is some level of pain. If you do it, You have the pain of whatever's associated with that. And if you don't do it, you have the pain associated with not doing it. So the idea is number one, pick your pain, but also going back to what's chronic is you're saying because we, in the moment, we look at it as a binary choice, we will potentially choose the one that feels less painful in the moment, but it leads to chronic pain because that continues to come up. So rather than confront it once, we take the opposite side of the pain a thousand times, which leads to a life of avoidance, inaction, fear.
2: Could you, You've nailed it. You did a beautiful job. I want to first say that a lot of my work, it's, it's very simple, but it's very counterintuitive. And the reason it's counterintuitive is the brain is a pattern detection machine. Okay. I think the most useful way to think about how to, if we really want to be powerful operators of our brain is we really recognize that the brain is a prediction machine. It's going apple, 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 fill in the blank. It's going to be an apple based on the parameters of reality. It didn't have to be an apple. Could have been a watermelon, could have been a pen, could have been, you know, but we're just yeah. making these predictions, which oftentimes is wildly adaptive and oftentimes wildly painful it creates a lot of okay so what, what I want you to think about in your life is I want you to think about how almost all of the problems in your life if you're really honest about it they're chronic you feel like oh god like I, I'm still not really speaking up or I'm still not really going after my dreams or I'm still like overwhelmed by parenting or I'm still the, our, our emotional problems are not one-off things they there we have to understand that there's a, a chronic pattern to them. OK, so I'm about to tell a very extreme story this and the reason I actually tell the story in energy rising. But the reason it's it's I, I chose to tell it because I have a, a million of these stories is if it's true at the most extreme form of human suffering and human behavior, then of course, there's wisdom to be gleaned for the rest of us who don't really relate to this level of trauma. OK, so I do a lot of work. Like I I was telling you before, I do a lot of work in in organizations and with leaders. And then the, the second bracket of my work is really clinical. So I was working with a combat veteran who came in for PTSD treatment. And he comes in and I say, okay, so what have you been doing? And he says, now, this is a very important part of the story. He's been back from his deployment for many, many, many years. So he says, well, I don't really go out anymore. I don't drive. His trauma happened in the context of a convoy. I don't drive. I don't go to restaurants. I don't go to movies. Most devastatingly, he was estranged from his family. So one of the symptoms of PTSD is anger and irritability. When when he first got back, his kids were really young. You can, I mean, little kids are just so chaotic, right? So um, there was a lot of conflict between he and his wife. So he's like, I don't really do relationships anymore. So in a word, he's avoiding, he's avoiding places, he's avoiding opportunities, he's avoiding relationships. I mean, he's avoiding, right? We can cannot... all... That's the mechanics of this. Great. So why is he avoiding? Well, he's avoiding because he thinks the avoidance is an adaptation to avoid pain. In other words, if I cannot go drive, I don't have to face my fear today. If I cannot have this conversation, I don't have to feel things in my body I don't want to feel. If I don't go to work t- today, my coworkers won't annoy me, right? So the avoidance is actually at, at the most neurobiological level, at the, at the level of the, of the physiology, is an adaptation to pain. So I say, well, how's that working? And he goes, it's not working at all. My life, like, it's a shell. It's, I'm, I'm, I'm suffocated. I'm, I'm lonely. I'm depressed. I still have it. My PTSD hasn't gone away, so it didn't even work. And I say, okay, well, great. I have some good news for you. We have a lot of wonderful evidence-based, really strong science about how to treat PTSD. The thing is, we're going to do the opposite of what you've been doing. So instead of trying to avoid it, instead of trying to feel the feelings, we're going to talk about the trauma. We're going to talk about it in, in great detail. You're going to record yourself on your phone. This is part of the protocol. And you're going to go home and you're going to listen to it over and over and over again. He's like, do they pay you to say this shit? Like, you to to like I just told you, right? Yeah. So he, this guy had a great sense of humor. And, yeah. you know, this is why... I I do these podcasts. So psychoeducation, the idea of like understanding again how our brains and nervous systems work is a big piece of this. So obviously you're gonna talk to whomever for as long as they wanna talk so they get comfortable. He decides he has a a lot of courage and says, okay, he's gonna go for it. At week 12, he walks into my office. He like wiggles the little phone in front of my face. He's like, doc, I can't listen to this anymore. So I'm like, okay, like sit down. Like, let's talk about it. He says... Every time I listen to this recording, I fall asleep. It is dull as shit. So in a remarkable period of time, he had spent years and years and years trying to avoid what? So this is the thing we have to understand about a lot of our traumas and I mean big T traumas and little T traumas is they're over. The the pain of trauma isn't what it did to us, it's what it does to us. Do you understand what I'm saying? In other words, something happened to me many, many years ago and now I'm still reacting in a way to protect myself from something that's not even happening in real time. It's just all stored within the nervous system. So his willingness to say, okay, let me start touching those memories. Let me start feeling those sensations. Now, sometimes there's physiologic arousal. I might sweat, I might cry, my hands might shake, so what the body's, I mean, nobody's ever died from crying. Nobody's ever died because their hands shake.
1: Right.
2: The energy is just, it's starting to move differently because you're approaching this, this traumatic memory. So my point here is the cost of avoidance. We should get very, if we want to live powerful lives, the first thing we must do is live in alignment with reality. There is no pain-free option when our relationships break down, when our families break down. So, if there was a pain-free option, I'd be hitting the the easy button. We all you wouldn't have a
1: job, <laughs>
2: right? But my point here is we can't, we can't, we can't avoid it, but we can get stronger. Well, how do we get stronger by training our nervous systems in different ways?
1: Where I get hung up is, let's say I go through something traumatic. How do you then deal with it with an understanding it can still happen?
2: Let me sort of zoom out here and say. When we are ready for this this moment of transformation, we have to walk it back to our agency. So I think there's a thing that's missing. And this is the thing. I actually don't know that our job is to trust other people. I think our job is to trust ourselves around other people. So I think, though, what happens is we will be will stay in conversations, will stay in rooms, will stay in relationships that do not feel good to us. How am I willing to participate in my own rescue?
1: What if you feel as if the thing that occurred is self-inflicted? So the PTSD example, I could imagine a soldier, 23-year-old young man, goes to war and feels weak because they respond a certain way to the tribulations of war as those around them do not. So the the emotional toll that is being taken on them is not necessarily the trauma of war. It's their judgment of themselves. In that situation, it's less about what others have done. It's more a, a betrayal of self.
2: So what you just said there is you're now talking about the emotional energy of what I call humiliation. Um, I talk about this. So I I break energy rising into eight codes and these are codes. So the third code is about what I think is one of the most powerful emotions on the planet. And that is the pain of, humiliation, and I don't care if we call it humiliation, unworthiness, embarrassment, shame, it's still sort of neurologically the the same phenomenon. Okay,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. So
2: what you're saying is exactly right. I'm actually going to tell, I didn't think I was going to tell another combat veteran story, but I want to make this point because I think it's it's so profound. So when I first started working with combat veterans, I thought, okay, they're coming in for PTSD. PTSD has a lot of relationship with fear. I have a pretty good guess of what I think you're afraid of. You're afraid of dying. Like that's a pretty reasonable fear for a, a mortal, right? But yep. what I was hearing across guys, across conflicts, across different years was they were saying like, I didn't want to die necessarily, but no, that was not the worst fear. The worst fear was being the guy on the mission that the other guys couldn't depend on.
1: Exactly. There you go. Yeah.
2: So, so over and over, I was hearing, oh my God from directly from, from people's mouths who really are sort of being faced with issues of mortality. No, like the worst, worse than that was feeling my own inadequacy, feeling my own unworthiness, feeling. So you're exactly right. So the mother kind of fear for all of us because a human being cannot be well and feel unworthy. If you think about all of the sort of the relationship issues that you get in into your life, You know, you'll say, like, I don't feel good in this situation or I don't like what he said to me or I don't like what they did to me or I don't like underneath all of that is a sensation of what I call the 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 root fear. The root fear is going to be something around this, this energy of humiliation, and it's going to be really dramatic and it's going to be really primitive, right? Because emotions are the universal raw, and most primitive form of human communication, So they're not, they're not going to be really comp. So it's going to be something like, I am bad. I am gross. No one listens to me. I can never get what I want. So yeah, I would encourage you and your listeners to say like, which of these resonate with me? Okay. Mm -hmm. So whatever it is, like, let's say mine is like, things never work out for me. Well, then when I'm in a situation and somebody, I get passed up at the, at the job, for example, I'm not going to say, okay, well, there's probably a better job waiting for me or okay, like things tend to work out or I'm going to, it's going to activate the root fear. So I said before that the brain is a pattern detection machine. And I think I used the example going apple, 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 except your brain is not actually going apple, apple, apple. What it's more kind of fundamentally doing is it's moving you through space and time based on sensation. So you're really saying I have these patterned ways of feeling and being. Yes. Okay. Now, I hope that a lot of us have patterns around things that we do good, like For example, like if I think I'm a good writer and someone doesn't like my writing, I'm more likely to say like, oh, they probably just didn't get it, right? But I also have patterns around my ways of being that create a lot of pain in my life. It's something like, things never work out for me. No one listens to me. People leave me. So if I have the pattern going, people leave me, people leave me, people leave me, I walk into a new job. I walk into a new relationship. I walk into a new Facebook group. Right. It might work well for 3 weeks, 6 weeks, 6 months, but you're always going to return to the to your habituated pattern because that's how how the brain goes. Okay. So give me enough time and then I will watch my pattern play out. So a lot okay. of times what people are doing is they're trying to change the situational specifics of their life. They're trying to find a new partner, they're trying to find a new job, they're trying to find a new house, but unless you work with the underlying emotional energy, It's gonna be the same thing because the thing that gives rise to all meaning in your life is emotion. The, The power of our life rises on the energy of our emotion. Think about the most existential questions you sit with with yourself. Are you a good father? Are you a good person? Do you have enough followers? Have you been successful enough? Do you make enough money? Do you have enough time? I don't know. It depends on how you feel about it. How much money you have is a, is a question of value. Value is mediated by the emotional system.
1: There's so many places I have to go. Let's go on to pattern, the, the, the pattern portion. And there's a phrase that I've used. Somebody taught me once in a class that I teach, which is you get what you invite. If you think people leave you, oftentimes this happens, right? It's self-fulfilling prophecy. Does that big thing, the root cause, you called it, right? Or the root problem. What causes that?
2: I think a lot of it has to do with childhood. Well, why did our parents do it to us? Overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly, parents want to do right by their kids. I almost think it's what I was saying to begin with, which is there's part of what it means to be human is to what I call walk the wound. I would love to meet the person who is not wounded on this planet. I would love to meet them. I think what it, just like our, we breathe oxygen, like we carry wounds. I think it's just what it, also like, I think a lot of times what happens is we think something has gone wrong and in the wrongness, we then resist reality as opposed to saying, how can I be more powerful in the face of this? Yep. Now, I learned a long time ago because I've worked with so much trauma, asking why why horrible things happen to good people. What is the answer?
1: For your work, does it matter?
2: Well, I think so. Here's the thing I do think. I do think, so I worked in US politics. I worked at the White House. I've done several presidential campaigns. I've done policy work. I've done international humanitarian aid work. I do think that until the world's most powerful people understand what to do about their own pain, their own fear, their own sense of greed, their own sense of inadequacy, their own sense of insufficiency, we're going to keep having conflict after conflict after conflict.
1: Think. Let's think about this. You're going along in life and you're fine and you're this blank slate and then your brain is going pattern, 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 but the pattern's fine, right? And then there is a thing that happens. It could be your parents and now it says, oh, this is horrible. You don't want to experience this. And it ties a lot of meaning and a lot of trauma and this root problem to it. And then you spend the rest of your life Essentially, trying to make sure that doesn't happen again by avoiding it. And that avoidance causes a lot of this inauthentic action, which can be more detrimental to yourself and those around you because it's not authentic, right? It's tainted almost. And I'm thinking about this as you are referring to powerful people. They are challenging their root problem. And because of their influence and their scale it can have an exponential effect on those around them.
2: There you go. There you go. When we have, we, when we have unaddressed brokenness inside of us, right. when we have unaddressed fears, when we, have, we will, of course, act from those because they're, they're, they're in. I mean, again, it's, it's sort of this issue of neurobiology. I think the more we understand the brain, oddly enough, I think this is one of the, you know, is, the more we understand the brain, I think it's an incredibly powerful instrument for social justice. So we have to start saying, well, if I feel like people are out to get me, there's a pattern of this. I'm going to behave in ways that are naturally defensive. Right. If I think you're going to take from me, I'm going to probably try to take from you first. When we have all these conversations about, you know, inclusion, transparency, empathy, I want you to really think about this. I am on fire for negative emotions. And the reason I'm on fire for negative emotions is not because I think they feel great. It's because they're not here to torment us. They are calling us home. Yeah. So watch this. I can only tolerate. I think transparency is a great idea. Yes, yes. Why don't we all be more transparent until what? until the point that I am in my own shitty feelings. In other words, I'm happy to give you information, Chris, until I'm afraid that you're going to take the information and use it against me. Right. Until you're going to share. A... What? What is it mediated by? The line is emotional energy. Okay. I'm happy to include you. I love, I'm so inclusive. I love it when people come to my parties. I love it when people come to my meetings. As long as, you don't do anything that makes me too uncomfortable. You don't do anything that makes me too mad. You don't do, okay. I love being empathic to people until what? Until I'm in my own shitty feelings. I'm too stressed out. My my need for to give you empathy then costs me. In other words, like I need, no, no, I need you to give me empathy, right? So the line, I, I do a lot about leadership and my my whole work on leadership is I think that leadership is so much broader than we've made it. Leadership is who do I say I am when I lead my life? Who do I say I am? Now, my leadership only and always breaks down at the point of my own shitty feelings. In other words, I lead brilliantly when my kids are listening and they're not having meltdowns and my husband's not pissing me off too much. But who do I become when the emotional energy sets in? I can't think of a better, a better hallmark of leadership, and, and the, the, the neuroscientific or the neuropsychological term for that would be emotion regulation. If I had one skill to give the planet, it would be how to, how to emotionally regulate, which doesn't mean avoid or deny or numb, it means how to come into a much more powerful relationship with emotions that humans have been avoiding for centuries. Yes, they don't feel good, but look at all the dysfunction that's come of it, number one. And number two, I am on, I'm excited to be alive at this moment in time because I, I think finally the planet is ready to have a next level conversation about emotional intelligence and emotional power. You know, I just got back from Philadelphia and I was doing a, a talk for a private equity firm. So I was speaking to 150 C-suite leaders of some of the most innovative, successful companies on the planet. And I was talking about the neuroscience of extraordinary teams. And I think a lot of us want to build exquisite relationships, right? Like mm-hmm. in our workplaces, in our homes. So I, I broke it down into like basically four, four things. And one of the things I talked about in there is obviously this idea of who do we become when we don't like the way our bodies feel? Yes. So a, yeah. a perfect example of this is, so here, I'll tell you the first piece I talked about. I, I broke it down into these, like, these points. One of the points was when it comes to constructing powerful relationships, you can be right or you can be powerful. You cannot be both. Remember how I said at the beginning of our conversation, you got to pick a more powerful pain? Yeah. Everybody likes to be right. I mean- it starts at, you know, one years old. We want to be right. We want to win the game. We want to, you know, get what we want. We want bedtime to be when we want it to be. So everyone understands being right is the friggin' booby prize when it comes to building powerful relationships. It is a total booby prize. You know, you like, you spend like $87, like throwing to the, like, your, yeah. the thing yeah. at the carnival, you yeah. know, and like, and you get this like shitty little teddy bear, yeah. like the stuffing falls out and like, you know, like, <laughs> here's the whole thing about being right. You're trying to be right in the context of a relationship because you think that being right is gonna bring you something vis-a-vis the relationship. Being right, insisting on being right just destroys the very relationship. So if you, and, and I've seen this happen so much on teams and and in obviously in our marriages too, and in organizations, it's like, it doesn't feel good to not be right. Everybody gets that. So it, can I sit with that pain in my body, that distress, to use your term, so that I can build something far more glorious, far more expansive and far more effective. Yes. But it's yeah. I can only do that to the degree that I am emotionally powerful enough.
1: Completely agree. And I, I wrote down in quotes the walk the wound because I feel like what you're saying, it's similar to we had Ryan Holiday on the show a while ago. The obstacle is the way it's like we are all presented with difficulties and then it becomes your job if you want to be powerful to learn how to handle said difficulties, but it's much more challenging because to your point, we all kind of know this at our base level. Oh, I need to work on the things that are hardest and that's how I growth and we use the analogy of like muscles and things, but yours is more from the emotional perspective. It's so core. It's so fundamental. It's so tied up in who we are that will make up stories will make up different scenarios simply to avoid it simply to say it's not this one thing it's not you know it's not that I feel inadequate it's just that in this moment da 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 but like a lot of what you're talking about is get to that thing at the base and the reason it's hard to get there is because it's so scary that we we don't want to oftentimes
2: what you see though so first of all i think that you just nailed it there so i'm going to tell you like a little bit about some some interesting i think fmri research
1: great right. i want to get into that yeah
2: okay so there's a so let's sort of talk about your point in the context of some neuroimaging work because i think it's i think a lot of times what, what you said is very true like okay 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 maybe i have this proclivity this pattern of feeling inadequate But this time, no, it really is about about this person, okay? But again, like, I think it can be very calming, very soothing, very empowering to be like, the brain is making meaning through the emotional system. I can only be triggered by somebody so long as I'm feeling the feeling in my own body. It's kind of wild to think about, but every single problem in the world is only because I have a bad feeling about it.
1: Right. I I heard it not to cut you off, but I heard a thing one time. If somebody said, hey, Chris, I hate your stupid blue hair. I wouldn't care because I don't have blue hair. It's just tied to how you feel about it. They said something else and I had an issue with it. It would trigger me.
2: So you're exactly right. And so then it becomes, isn't it so interesting that the way we've constructed a lot of our organizations, a lot of our teams has really been devoid of emotion, now, they're starting to be more on the positive side. Like, what does it mean to be authentic? And what does it mean to be... But I think there's still so much work to do around depth. But what I would say to you is, if really just just see if this holds true in your own life. is like, is there any problem, any problem at all in my life that I don't have, have any emotional pain around? And by emotional pain, I don't mean I'm writhing in traumatic agony. I mean... There's a, a thousand synonyms, frustrated, annoyed, upset, pissed off, irritated, agitated, upset. I mean, those the circuits that give rise to those bad feelings in our brains are the circuits that give rise to those bad feelings. So there, if all problems are about emotional reactions, why am I focusing so much on the situational specifics and paying no attention to the emotional energy? This is madness to me. Okay, so there's a well-validated, so this is, this is, you know, a paradigm that I used in my own research is like we, it's called the faces paradigm. And so you put people in these big scanners and you show them faces and there's a happy face and a sad face and an angry face. But the most neutral face, I think, is the neutral face. So everyone is seeing the same faces in the scanner. There's no question about who saw what. People have very different reactions to the neutral face. Some people say it's blank. Some people say it's sad. Some people say it's angry. Some people say it's threatening. Some people say it's neutral. Who's right? Who cares? That is the booby prize question. The question is, if I am trying to lead in my team, in my organization, my children, on social media, the most powerful question is, how am I going to meet people's emotional experience so that I can influence? So if you are afraid by this face, let me stop the silliness of insisting to you, the face isn't scary, Chris. Chris, the face is, Chris, I told you the face. I don't, hey, Chris, I don't think the face is scary. This is what we do to people. And then we wonder why they shut down and turn away from us. If I could boil all of my work down, all of it in, with top leadership, in in teams, in couples, in parenting, it comes down to this question. How do I get these people around me, who are very important to me in varying ways, to behave differently so that I don't have to feel feelings I don't like to feel inside of my own body? In other words, I need you to be more accountable so I don't feel so frustrated. I need you to be more engaged so I don't feel so anxious. I need you to be more cooperative with me so I don't have to feel so afraid, okay? So even their behavior is ultimately mediated by my emotional reaction. When my kids are hooting and hollering downstairs and I'm not too stressed out, they're hooting and hollering, doesn't really bother me. You know, like they're just like being loud. When I've had a really stressful day and I'm on like sensory overload, I'm like, everyone needs to immediately be quiet. We're going to play the quiet game, right? Because my nervous system can or can't take it. So we're, we're, we're structuring like all of this reality in a way that doesn't really make sense. So, okay, so then people will say to me, because the number one thing I'm asked to do is I'm brought into organizations. How do, we, how do we think about the neuroscience of employee engagement? How do we think about the neuroscience of cooperation or building cultures? So they, people will say to me, okay, so there's nothing we can do. Because here's the reality, there's nothing you can do about what's going on in somebody else's nervous system. And all of us parents know this because if you've ever tried to get your two-year-old in the car seat, when the two-year-old is like, I am not going in the car seat, it's like, no, it's not happening. So if you can't do this for your own children who are so neurobiologically attached to you, good luck controlling Harry and Sue in finance again. Picking up the poor finance department. Okay, so then what then is the mechanism? Well, the mechanism is again to say, how does neurobiology actually work? And emotions are an energy of contagion. We catch each other's emotions the way we catch colds. Now, you all, we don't even need to, need to go into the neuroscientific literature. You already know that plenty of times in your life, you've been in a good mood, you walk into a room where people are not in a good mood, and your mood sinks like a lead balloon. The, the converse is also true. You've been in a whatever mood and walked in and people are like laughing hysterically. You don't even know what they're laughing about. And now you're just cracking up. Okay. So this is a, just a quick example of how we catch emotions. So here's the number one thing I see happen in, in our leadership. People will say these people, they're just not motivated enough. For example, they're not listening enough. And I say to the leader, I totally understand. That's super valid. We, I, I agree we have to fix that. First, tell me, how are you? And they go, I'm exhausted. I'm frustrated. I'm overworked. The native, fundamental, universal language of human beings is a language of emotion. Everyone is feeling your energy. Okay? You are not fooling anyone. So oftentimes, we think it's our job to inspire them. It's a, our job to inspire the people that work for us. It's our job to inspire our kids. No.
1: Inspire ourselves.
2: Our job is to inspire ourselves and then trust the way that the, the neurology works. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. if you're honest with yourself and you think, who are the leaders in my life that have, ins- they have never been the ones who've inspired you, the ones who are like breathing down your neck, like, hey, Chris, uh, hey, Chris, can I see that email? Hey, Chris, can you, uh, do you, can we have another conversation Chris, can you, the ones who inspire us are the ones who are attuned to other people, but powerfully independent and very invested, honestly, in the integrity of the work.
1: And going back to where we started, that's why you have such a passion and a direction, and the book is so much about handling your own stuff because the reason they can't do it or inspire or all those things is because they're not dealing with their. Issues
2: And so, you know, I think I know that a lot of leaders listen to your show yeah. and I think we lead in all these capacities. I think there's a real neurology of leadership. And here's the best definition I can give you for leadership. Leadership is whoever has the clearest emotional signal in the relational system. So for, I work all the time, this really came through for me in parenting, but I'll give you a parenting example and then I'll give you an organizational example. Really high functioning, competent, brilliant parents who are brought to their knees by the behavior of their four-year-old, their seven-year-old, their eight-year-old, their 16-year-old. So what's happening is the emotional energy of the child is so, it's so clear that it's derailing the parents' leadership. I see the same thing happen sometimes in organizations where there's a team of brilliant high performers and one, to use the in quotes, you know, the bad apple is like people are obsessed with the bad apple. So again, I, oh, I get it. We all get it. We've all been there. We've all lost a hold of our power. But if I need to have a conversation with myself, I can totally say, This person gets to set the tone for the team, but then let me also not, let me just be honest and not call myself the leader. If my leadership breaks down at your behavior, I'm not the leader you are.
0: Right.
1: You know why that's so powerful for a minute? Just I've got a, he's not even three months old. And when my wife leaves me alone with him, I've noticed my first reaction is I hope he doesn't lose it. That actually wasn't the case for my other kids, but it's because I don't think in the moment, like this morning when I have to get ready for an entire day, I have the emotional regulation, the emotional power and availability to deal with that. So there's like this fear of, I can't handle that. I just need to make sure he's calm. And I think we, what you're saying is we can do that everywhere.
2: And also like under, you know, people talk about boundaries all the time. And I, it's such a beautiful thing. It's like, I took my kid, I have, I have an eight-year-old and a six-year-old. I took them, we, we basically went out for a cupcake. We, when we went to play pool, like the, you know, the billiard mm-hmm. game. And at the end, he just lost it. And I'm sure he lost it because he was tired, but it was exactly. like, I mean, I was a horrible mommy and, you know, I, I, I had started my day at 6 a.m. that day. And I was like, but the best I can do right now is I call it don't bite down. So I literally think soften my jaw because a lot of times if we soften our face, it's it's like the, the energy just kind of drops in us. And I was like, just, I can't negotiate right now. I can't, I just need to not bite down. And that was all I had. But right. it was better than me being like, get like starting to calibrate to that energy.
1: Yes. So listen, I know we only have a couple minutes left, and this question has been boring a hole in my head because you say it often. It's the energy of emotion. I mean, the book is Energy Rising. Can you, in three minutes, explain to us what an emotion is, why it has this scientific backing, why it is energy?
2: Yes. So, you know, emotions are, so first of all, this is a, this is still a hotly contested No one can say specifically, like, this is precisely what an emotion is. And anyone who says, like, this is exactly what it is, it's not, it's not scientifically true. So I think part of what emotions, what's so fascinating about them is they belong intimately to us. We absolutely have a ton of influence over our emotions, but we do not have perfect control over them. So emotions are brain-based signals that are giving rise, I would say, giving rise to behavior and giving rise to meaning. So for example, I have a sensation in my body that I want to rest. I'm I'm feeling exhausted. I'm feeling sad. I'm feeling depleted. Well, I can, if, if I'm really interested in using this kind of Google Maps, this neurobiological signal to my benefit, I would then use it to corral my behavior. A lot of people are asking me at the fundamental level, how do I live a life that feels good? How do I live a life where I feel happy or sometimes we'll say confident? The answer is quite simply, you integrate your emotional experience with with your behavioral system. So if I have a sensation in my body repeatedly that says, move away, move away, move away. And then I behave in a way that approaches. Now, a lot of times the approach behaviors are what I call the overs. We start to overwork, overthink, overgive, overfunction, overdeliver, right? So in those moments, we're using the behavioral system to literally stay up till 2 a.m. doing emails, even though the, 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 the signals that are coming out of our nervous system are saying, like waving the white flag and saying mother. So, you know, you know, emotions are, I mean, they're neuroelectrical chemical cascades that create different activations throughout the brain, but they're not a discrete thing. I think earlier that people used to think emotions were emotions and thinking was thinking. But we know that you can't think without emotion. So for example, the ways that we think, the ways that we solve problems, the ways that we even encode memory, we remember So you understand what I'm talking about, how there's cognitive systems and emotional systems. We understand now that the brain is what we call a cognitive by affective machine. Well, let me just give a a quick example of PTSD. We used to think PTSD was an emotion, a, a, a disorder of emotion dysregulation. All these disruptions in the fear circuitry. That's not true. We see all these disruptions, too, in the cognitive systems, how people process information, how they pay attention, how they remember, yes? So we have to start thinking better about like these sensations that are produced in my brain and felt in the body when they're happening over and over and over again, what are they telling me about the way in which to steer my behavior? And if I'm willing to repeatedly reject the signal, how well do I think that's gonna work for me over time?
1: If it's saying, be, be afraid of this, and I listen to it, then aren't I not doing the thing that we talked about doing?
2: I think though you have to recognize there's, there's always going to be those two pains talking to you. Oh, so right, 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 saying, choose if if right. Choose the right one. Right. So if it's saying, okay, let's go to, let's go to overwork. Let's go to overwork. Let's say you have to choose between spending time with your children and you have to spend like time on your career. So Sweet. let's say today you're like, the kids really need my attention. And then all this stuff starts to flare up. It never shuts up. You're going to fall behind. And oftentimes, we don't even really hear the words. We just have this sensation, again, of this root fear of like, it's not good. You're going to fall behind. You're going to be irrelevant. No one's paying attention to you. You need to do more. You need to do more. You need to do more. So if I go, if I I have to choose now, I can either deny my children more attention from me, but there's going to be a, a price associated with that or i can continue to overwork so i think a lot of us have structured our lives where we would rather be with people that we'd love but we're we're operating out of this fear-based system that keeps us again in this overs loop the overworking the overdoing the overthinking the overfunctioning the overpleasing the overaccommodating the overengineering yeah. well in order to break that i have to be willing to feel negative feelings now here i want to say one other thing that's really important So the brain kind of calibrates itself based on the evidence that we feed to it. This is the really scary thing about the overs. If if my brain goes, (gasps) Julia, don't go to bed today before 3 a.m. because you need to get out all these emails because if you don't get out all these emails, people are gonna think you don't care about them. They're gonna think you're irresponsible. They're gonna pass you up for opportunities. (laughs) And then I stay up because I'm like, oh, my God, that definitely will be some form of existential career death. <laughs> yeah. Yes, 3 a.m., yeah. here we come. Yeah. Okay, so we're all doing this. I live to see another day. Learning is based on stimulus and response, right? So I live to see another day. My brain does not have the evidence to calibrate to if I would have went to bed at 8 p.m., I would have lived to see another day. My brain goes, See? Thank God I'm here to save your dumb ass, because huge. if you yeah. would have if you would have gone to sleep, you would have everything up. Yep.
1: Yep. That's huge. That makes all the sense in the world. It only has the one choice you made. It doesn't have the alternative reality if you didn't make that choice.
2: Correct. That's
1: a, that's a key component. So
2: go back to the veteran really quick. He didn't have evidence that if he touched the trauma, it would actually make him not Feel the same, but feel profoundly better. The message I'm trying to give people, and I hope I did a good job of it, is when we touch the pain we keep avoiding, it's not just like, well, I guess it doesn't hurt as bad. No, it's it's holy. It becomes this redemption. It becomes this spaciousness. It becomes this rising.
1: Dr. Ganji, this is amazing. Uh, the book, Energy Rising, The Neuroscience of Leading with Emotional Power. Look, if you like the conversation, I mean... We went so many places with it because I'm so passionate about this topic, but the book is incredible. goes into much more depth. We're going to link to it. Thank you so much for being on the show.
2: Thank you so much for having me, Chris. And maybe we'll do part two another day. I
0: hope so. A thank you to this week's guest, Dr. Julia Deganji. The episode was hosted as always by Chris Stemp and produced by yours truly, John Rojas. Dr. Deganji's book, Energy Rising, the Neuroscience of Leading with Emotional Power is available wherever books are sold. Now the quick housekeeping items. If you'd ever like to reach out to the show, you can email us at smartpeoplepodcast@gmail.com at gmail.com or message us on Twitter at smartpeoplepod. And if you want to stay up to date with all things Smart People Podcast, head over to the website, smartpeoplepodcast.com and sign up for the newsletter. All right, that's it for us this week. Make sure you stay tuned because we've got a lot of great interviews coming up. We'll see you all next episode.